Super Talk Mississippi media production. Did you know Toyota Brookhaven has sold more new vehicles the last two years than any other dealership in southwest Mississippi? Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi Minute. That's right. Welcome to In a Mississippi Minute. We are in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. That's how we roll, so please pay attention to that. Today's guest is the other one-third of the family now. The husband of the amazing Jessica Andrews and the dad of their beautiful son, Rockwell. From his early days of pursuing a hockey career to his love of writing Big hit songs, which he did very well and very often. And recording himself, a couple big record deals, then to becoming a sought-after music video director. Actually a big influence on our son, Strack, who is now a filmmaker in Hollywood. We're going to dig into that for sure. He's an amazing woodworker as well, as in our dining room dwells this incredible piece he made us before we moved back to the Delta. He can do it all and do it very, very well. So let's get to it. And welcome in my pal, almost little brother, Marcel. Hey, Marcel. Wow. What an introduction, man. Yeah, yeah, I mean, thinking there, wow. That's That's cool. It's all true. Holy God. I did that. Oh, yeah, I guess I did do that. (laughs) You sort of, is that something you did growing up, or did you just sort of wake up one morning between songs and just go, I think I want to work with wood? It's funny, I did not actually grow up doing it. My dad, like, I grew up with my dad always getting every new great uh, toy that came out as far as tools or four-wheelers or motorcycles or cars. My dad just, you know, didn't hold back on uh, enjoying th- uh, the things that he wanted to have, and, and so he always bought stuff. And he, he dove into building a cottage up North Michigan, and, you know, just I kind of learned watching him. I never really did any of the work, though, so when I moved to Tennessee... Um, after, you know, years and years of trying to make it in L.A. and living in a 10 by 10 apartment, I, I was able to write a song and have some success and, and get a little bit of money to purchase a house. And it was an old ranch that I bought. And just, you know, I dove in. I kind of like just followed my dad's footsteps as far as, you know, I could do this. So I literally went and bought the books at checkout line at Home Depot, like, how do you do your electric or how <laughs> how do you how to frame a deck that kind of stuff to do it right and then of course nowadays google um you got to be careful what you get on google though or yeah. youtube but nowadays you can pretty much if you don't understand how to do something find out how to do it fairly fairly quickly and, and easy 
it, now I've got a whole arsenal of tools, and from from that was probably 17 years ago when I bought my first set of tools, which were saws and drills and routers, and yeah, and I. So yeah, to answer your question though more directly, it was during between writing songs with Universal Music Group and being on uh, a record label and just sort of being in a hiatus while while I was making a record and mm-hmm. writing songs. I, I had a new house to just work on, so I did a lot of writing at home and just building things on my at my house, on my house, and then of course the furniture in my house. So. Yeah, I love it. We're talking to Marcel. Marcel, I, I have a theory here. After doing, after living enough life to experience this, so a lot of our friends in the music business that are songwriters, we and artists, we we spend a lot of time waiting on what we create to get out there. Right? You're sort of at the mercy sometimes. In, in our in our heyday, we were definitely at the mercy of time schedules release schedules is the song going to get recorded is the album going to get recorded is it going to re-release and and the one thing about building something and i even go back to as simple as sweeping in the morning because i see instant gratification and that's something that we never get in our business so it just doesn't happen (laughs) so no you're right that's my theory i think it's like therapeutic for us and it also sort of frees our mind to being more creative i I mean do you get what i'm saying oh absolutely and funny you say sweeping like i'll go to town on you know i'll make a mess just so i can clean it up you know (laughs) just it just because it it is therapeutic. Like I, <laughs> you got me choking now on my coffee. So you grow up in Michigan in Gross Point. How big was Gross Point? Um, or small? Well, there's a Gross Point. There's, it's Gross Point, Gross Point Farms, Gross Point Park, Gross Point Woods, and Gross Point Shores. Okay, so they're all on the lake, um, and they basically border Detroit. So I could see Windsor basically um, from a friend's house, you know, mm-hmm. one of the wealthy kids that I grew up with who was in the auto business. Uh, his parents were genuine parts distributors. And they, uh, yeah, so it's it's small as far as like being a little, like the world is small, like Nashville small and Mississippi small. But it's not that small. It's It's probably, I don't know how the mileage is maybe like, I don't know, I'd say runs 15 miles from uh, north, like, I don't know, north to south. I don't know, the it's actually run, yeah, north-south, running the, up the lake. But, yeah, it, it's a little, you know, kind of a auto industry town, you know, like, and right. I don't mean blue, I don't mean blue collar. I mean, like, the movie Gross Point Blank, the movie was shot, some of the scenes were shot in actual Gross Point, like, some of the aerial shots of the footage of the mansions on the lake. And there's like a elite uh, wealth in that specific area in the movie. Right. But you know, normal middle class, Gross Point. Uh, a lot of people that I meet that know of Gross Point that, that grew up around or near Gross Point, they think Gross Point's sort of a snooty right. uh, <laughs> type place. You know, Izod shirts with green, you know, polo pants and penny <laughs> loafers. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't wear that kind of stuff growing up. I was a skateboard thrasher dude that, right. you know, had had long hair and just was completely uh, uh, different than everybody. I love it. I love talking to Marcel. Marcel, let's talk hockey because you were serious about it. And so, uh, you know, 
where how far did it take you wow this is like literally steve i had no idea what kind of questions you were going to talk about today so you're like literally bright bringing these i'm like oh my goodness you just said hockey that seems like a lifetime ago well it was it was i mean like 20 20 plus years ago now i retired playing hockey which is so weird to say retired playing hockey because i played 19 years i think it's uh, fair to say retired because of how many years I put into it. But yeah, my dad had me on skate. My dad named me after the famous um, hockey player, hockey player named Marcel Dion. Mm-hmm. And he is, uh, you know, I don't not he's not like a Gretzky as far as most people in the world don't know who Marcel Dion is. But anyway, my dad named me Marcel Francois Chagnon. I guess had me on the ice when I was three and basically from three till 26, I played, well, three till 23, I played, uh, competitively in, you know, squirts, phantoms, um, midgets, peewee, all that, all the little travel teams. And then I had the goal to be, you know, make the show and the NHL. And so I, I played juniors and played a little bit of, uh, that for a couple of years and prepared myself basically for either the next step, which was to play junior B, which is you can't, you can't get a scholarship if you play that because you get paid to get, gotcha. uh, to play. So yeah, I ended up going the route of playing college hockey in division one in the CCHA played for, um, a team that no longer exists. Um, it was called University of Illinois at Chicago. I played for the UIC Flames. We played against Michigan, Michigan State, Notre Dame. Um, wow. That kind of uh, bracket of our tier. And yeah, it was it was awesome playing hockey. It's like it's like riding a bike though. Like I can grab a hockey stick right now, and I still I'll be sore and I'll be you know a little slow, but I I still can just do what I did when I was, you know, a young pup, you know, whipping around. I'm a little stiff, though. I mean, like, basically, it's like getting a couple five-gallon buckets for your legs, (laughs) uh, getting on the ice. Last time I at least got on the ice, it was like, seriously, I had, like, no wind whatsoever. My legs felt like they weighed weighed a a ton. See, you know, we we grew up down in the Delta, and you got to understand something. There were no skates. Do you understand what I'm saying? No ice skates. We're talking to Marcel. You're in a Mississippi Minute in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. He is like my little brother, truly. We'll be right back. If you need me, take a four-lane, get it my way. Take a bus, take a plane, take a car, take a train, take a bike, get your ride, you decide. If you need me, know where I'll be in Tennessee. Whether you're a rebel, a bulldog, a golden eagle, or just a sports fan, Super Talk Mississippi has got a podcast for you. For you. Sports Talk Mississippi, The Rebel Report, Thunder and Lightning, The Super Talk Eagle Hour, and The Borky Show are all now available for you. And it's all free. Free. Get them all on demand at supertalk.fm and on your smartphone. Just search for Super Talk on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. I'm with my brother, Marcel. 
He is. I promise you, if I had a little brother, he'd be the one I'd choose. Uh, just an incredible soul of a guy. So talented. He puts more lyric in a line than I do. And I thought I was probably pretty good at that. But he takes it to a new level and pulls it off uh, magically and wonderfully uh, in his songs. Uh, but right now, we're going to finish talking about hockey, his hockey days. So when you put the skates up, what was the, I mean, where did you, did you have an injury, a career in injury? Or do you just feel like, okay, because you were close to doing NHL. So what, did you go to the minor leagues after college? I mean, where did it end? Basically, I played college in the CCHA, and I told you the team no longer exists because my freshman year, I had a scholarship to play for UIC. And the freshman year, the most craziest thing, I guess that's the way the story's written and, and you know, the way it's supposed to go. Um, but the, the team folded, so I could have either stayed in Chicago and kept the scholarship and just went to school, or I had to basically uh, find another team to play on in, you know, in collegiate uh, level. So I ended up, and it was tough, too, because we found out at the end of the school year and, and the season was already over, so it was kind of like all the recruiting had been done and scholarships had been given out to all the other you know, schools and programs. So I ended up walking on to a college, uh, Northern Michigan, uh, and played for the Wildcats for probably a semester and ended up, the crazy story, but ended up basically getting a call from a, uh, one of my buddies, close friend who actually is a scout for the Detroit Red Wings. And he, he said, man, I got a buddy of mine who's coaching a team in Anchorage, Alaska. And, uh, they're needing, you know, some offensive defense in right now. You, you, you ever think about playing minor pro and, uh, you know, not finishing out college hockey? And I, I said, oh my God, absolutely. So I literally <laughs> packed up, uh, my bags and, and literally two hockey bags. That's it. And went to Anchorage, Alaska and played for the Anchorage Aces for my first time playing in minor pro. And wow. let me tell you, what a, what a crazy experience it was because the league that I was in was a league basically, uh, it was the WCHL guys like, and this is a true story, guys like Link Gates. Link Gates holds the longest, he holds the record for the longest fight in the NHL against Bob Probert, who played for the Detroit Red Wings. I mean, we're talking like a loose cannon big yeah. boy. Yeah. I, d during camp, I, uh, you know, Link, I played uh, with Link in Anchorage for probably six months before he got, you know, expelled or booted from the team and booted from Anchorage pretty much. <laughs> I played with this guy, and during training camp, I didn't know him yet. And, I, you know, I was an offensive defenseman, and I was taking a rush from, you know, back in our, our end and rushing it forward and going, and I crossed over the, the red line, and all of a sudden, there's this mass, it's like a wall. This guy's just so big. And basically, the league I was in, and, and I don't say this with disrespect, I just say this with, uh, with actually utmost respect. These guys that are playing in this league aren't guys trying to make the NHL. They're, tr they're guys that have played in the NHL and still want to keep their legs and their wind right. and just stay in shape. It's not a beer league. Right. By all means. Yeah. <laughs> but it, you know, it's, it's where guys that still have, you know, some fight in them left couple guys you know from the show play play on, a, on each team and we had link gates and he basically 
I, I'm skating and I'm rushing and all of a sudden I did a little razzle dazzle and I put one between his legs and I dodged or deke past him and all of a sudden I got a two hand basically swing like a baseball swing <laughs> it's linked he's swinging his stick and he smashes it across my forearm <laughs> and he drops his glove and, and, and challenges me <laughs> to a fight yeah, I'm not. This is a true story. For all I did was like pass him and make him look silly with a little deke. You know, how yeah. you can put the he puck between someone's skates. <laughs> and he two hand swings me across my forearms, drops his gloves, and ready to fight. And I said, "Sir, I will not and am not." <laughs> and I it, like I should have fought him just to get some respect, but it wasn't happening, man. Yeah. This guy's like little little fruity, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and can't anyway, win those. yeah, can't win those. <laughs> no, yeah, I would have never won. I might have got some respect from the guy, but this is a guy that walked around or skated around the ice saying "a goonie goo goo." Yeah, those are the words that he said. <laughs> so, this is a guy. Yeah, Link Gates. If you don't know who Link Gates is, research him. He he, he got in a uh, he played for the Minnesota North Stars when he fought Probert, but he got in a really bad car accident and has a metal plate in his head, and he's just you know really sweet guy. But he, he's just, uh, he's nice just fight. like I said, a loose cannon, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I played in Anchorage till, uh, till mid-season and ended up getting uh, basically another. I went to the East Coast Hockey League, which is the, the ECHL, which is more of the guys that are still trying to get to the NHL. They're trying to prove themselves still. Mm -hmm. And I played for the Dayton Bombers for, mm, I think, a dozen games. And then... From there, I went to uh, the Central Hockey League and played for two teams there, the Macon Whoopi and the Memphis River Kings. You played Which in Memphis? That, I played in Memphis Shut for the up, River Kings. And at that, this is the most crazy story, but I'm, I get put in a hotel room with another new guy. I just got traded there. I drove, drove from uh, Macon to Memphis, and I'm put in a hotel room with a guy named Greg Dreveny. He was a, a goalie that just got traded there. And so that night he's on the phone and, I, and I've got my acoustic guitar at this point. I always traveled with acoustic guitar my dad uh, gave me, which, which is a guitar my mother bought my dad for Christmas long before I was ever born. And I had this guitar and I started kind of messing around and writing my own songs. A lot, I'd play a lot of cover tunes, you know, that was sort of my uh, niche with, uh, with the females out there, I should say. The hockey teammates... They always teased me for playing uh, my music or playing songs, but but I always seemed to, uh, you know, enjoy the the reaction I would get from anybody. But you know, of course, lady friends who like you know, show yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they look at you smiling and you, you feel like you're doing something right, and they may have a shot at this. So I always right. have my guitar. <laughs> so I'm in the hotel room. I'm singing something real soft, and all of a sudden, the dude that I'm just put in the room with says. Hey, my girlfriend wants to know what song you're singing. And I said, it's, it's something I just wrote myself. And he said, something he wrote for herself, for himself. And then, you know, he comes back to me I'm in the room. He's like, my girlfriend wants you to sing it again. So I sing it again. Anyway, she gets on the phone with me. She tells me who she is. Dude's dating 
Jeannie Buss, the owner of the Los Angeles Lakers and the Los Angeles Kings at the time. Like the Jerry Buss, who's, who's uh, no longer with us, Les Soul, he passed uh, a couple of years ago, but his, his daughter, Jeannie Buss, was his person in charge. You know, wow. she ran the Lakers and the Kings, and she currently is the owner of the uh, Lakers. But yeah, I'm on the phone with this, and she's telling me who she is, and she says that she's for 15 years done all kinds of favors for people in the music business and getting them court, you know. Court so side this is it. Yeah, this is like holy crap. Are you serious? Wow. You think I'm that that good? She's like, yes. I'm gonna fly to Memphis tomorrow, and I want to record uh, that song and, and any other songs that you have. So she flies. This is all happening. Like I'm like, what? We got a game that next day, and, and she comes to town, flies in, watches us play, and then the following day was like a Saturday. She ta- we go to freaking Sun Studio and freaking record my three little songs that I'd written. Two weeks later from that, I'm on the phone with my dad saying, "Hey, Pa, I think I'm gonna go to L.A. with this woman, Jeannie Bus." She says she can get me a record deal. And my dad just was so like, are you kidding me? You spent your entire life chasing down the hockey, and you just started playing my guitar when you moved to Anchorage, Alaska. (laughs) You you think, like, that's something that's wise to do? And I said, Pa, I remember watching The Thing Called Love. Remember, I I wanted to do that River Phoenix, you know, get to the Nashville and sing on the top of the building. Uh, Nashville, I'm here now, and I ain't ever leaving. Like, I wanted to do that so bad. Yeah, and isn't that funny? My dad was just like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's a good idea. And he says, I support you, but I don't think it's a good idea. Wow. I literally hung up the skate probably a few days after that conversation. And the goalie that just got traded there who was dating Jeannie, he hangs his skates up. It just so happened he'd been traded four times in that season. That was my fourth team that season. I, we both said, let's go to L.A. And we drove out to L.A. and moved in with Jeannie Buss on the Strand in Manhattan Beach. He did that He did that because that's crazy. That's the craziest story I think I've ever heard, one of them. He did that because he wanted to protect, he wanted to make sure you weren't going to, you know, make, uh-huh. make your way in. <laughs> yeah. He quit totally. the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. We're talking to Marcel. Marcel, we're the birthplace of American music. So, you get to play DJ. Would you like to hear... Into the break, Muddy Waters or the band Perry? We got to hear Muddy Waters. All right, you got it. We're in a Mississippi Minute to keep Mississippi beautiful studios. I'm Steve Azar. Got Marcel on the line. We'll be right back. Now, when I was a young boy, at the age of five, my mother said I was going to be greatest man alive but now i'm a man way past 21 the news doesn't sleep and neither do we fox news radio late breaking up to the minute from around the world around the clock here on super talk mississippi In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. We're talking to Marcel. You're in a Mississippi Minute in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. You you moved to L.A., 
but you end up in Nashville. What goes on in L.A. during this time? Do you start doing a lot of co-writing or what? You, you recorded these three songs. Did you get a record deal immediately? I mean, no telling, right? What, what happened? Oh, gosh, man. It's almost like me telling this story right now feels like it's really just, just no possible way this all happened. Like, there's just no way. But it, it really did. So I get to L.A. My first week I'm there, I, I get... I meet a couple of dudes at, at a Lakers game, of course, because Jeannie takes me to a Lakers game. Yeah. And I meet a guy named Chris Nelson who's, you know, a hockey player who's buddies with all these producer Hollywood people and actors that love to play hockey, like Jerry Bruckheimer and, you know, that kind of crew, Cuba Gooden Jr. <laughs> and so the first week I'm there, we're at a, a Kings game or a Lakers game. Actually, no, it was Kings game. Is at the forum before the uh, buses sold the Great Western Forum, and Chris Nelson runs into his buddy Cuba, and Cuba's like, "You want to go out with us after the game?" And he says, "Sure." So we all jump into this limousine after, and we just go party. And my first week in town, I'm hanging with Cuba Gooding Jr. Show me the money. My L.A. journey was was crazy. With it, I, I basically. St- when I moved out there to, to do music, there was also this thing called Pro Beach Roller Hockey. It was crazy. And I played that for, for the season. So I had I met a guy uh, that play, I played with in the roller hockey that let me basically house at his house in Balboa Point. Two, three months go by there. I meet a guy in L.A. who lives in Hollywood who's a manager. He hears me, he hears me singing. One thing led, led to another. He's telling me he's going to get me a record deal. And in between that little two-month stint of going from Balboa Point to Hollywood to sing for this manager dude in, in, in Hollywood, I booked a, uh, a McDonald's commercial uh, as a Wayne Gretzky uh, double. So I got to work with Wayne Gretzky. This is crazy. L.A. is a place where you're either a waiter or an actor. And I ended up I had to get a job in the first year I was there. I mean, I did book the McDonald's commercial, but, you know, it takes a while for pipeline money to generate and get royalties. Right. So, so a buddy of mine says, man, you'd be a great waiter, and it's quick money, and it's, it, it's the best way to make good money out here. And so I started waiting tables and ended up staying in L.A. for four years, and I booked nine national uh, commercials. I, I did a Gap commercial. Wow. With, uh, but it all had to do, these commercials I, I was booking had to do with my ability to play hockey and skate. There you go. There you so go. So it was an easy, you know, anything that had a hockey or figure skating or any kind of skating, rollerblading or golf, I, I would book the commercials. Yeah, you could I, act I, and it was a niche that you could actually skate. I mean, right? Yeah. So, I, yeah. It wasn't, wow. it wasn't fake. It was actually, you know, right. legit. So, right. Um, so, yeah. And then four and a half years later, Jeannie, you know, basically says, I thought you wanted to go to Nashville thing, you know, at the Bluebird Cafe. I, I really think you need to do that and chase that avenue. Uh, that was your original passion. And so I did. I, I, I just like, just like I packed it up and moved to L.A., I, I, I didn't pack up, but I went on a road trip to uh, the, play the Bluebird Cafe. And, and that's the crazy, the story even gets more crazy than it already is. Because who saw you? Dots lining up. Yeah, so I'm sitting there before (laughs) I'm in this line. You put your name in a hat. It's a true story. You you, you sign up, you get a number, and whatever order you're in. 
usually the top 20 numbers get to play on that day. And if, if you don't get to play for some reason and it goes over the 9 o'clock slot, they give you a stamp on that number and you come back and get a guaranteed slot to play the next week. Well, you know me, I'm in, in town from L.A. I'm thinking the, I'm the first guy that came from L.A. to play the Bluebird Cafe. So I'm talking to this woman who's running the open mic. Her name's Barbara Cloyd. Yeah. And she, her eyes never came up from the magazine she was reading. And I just was asking her, you know, I was being the most, I was doing the best Steve Azar I could ever be as there far as go. like saying the right words. And just, <laughs> you know, good guy, good guy knows how to, you know, just a great guy can get some things uh, done. And she didn't take her eyes off the magazine. And I basically <laughs> said, well, what are the chances, you know, I, I can't stay for a week and, you know, I don't want to miss this my number is like 26 I, I it's getting late i feel like i'm not going to get to play and she's like i'm sorry but i can stamp it so it's good for for however long uh you want it to be so if you ever have to come back you can play for sure you know then and that was you know i was just devastated thinking i wasn't gonna get to play well it's getting close to being through and Basically, the number 20, 21, 22, 23, 24 had gone home with their stamps already. So I literally was like second to last person that got to play. And I got up there and I, I played a song I'd written. Now, your question was, sorry, I'm jumping. Jump. I don't mean to. Jump all you want. You asked me what if I was co-writing in L.A. I was acting in L.A. and I, I had a little home studio that uh, I was noodling around in and right. basically waste, wasting time trying to make a demo instead of writing songs and making the song. So, you know, I wrote some a dozen songs out in L.A. in that time period, but during that time, I met a guy that just moved from L.A., or from Nashville to L.A., who had a record deal in Nashville, and he he saw me doing a show at one of the clubs I was playing at, came up to me and introduced himself and basically said, I'd love to co-write, and I had no idea what that word even meant. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, me too. When you I like, you actually co-write with people, yeah. really? And I was standoffish, but we ended up co-writing um, a song, and it opened my head to like, oh my gosh, this is nuts. Like, this just made, this is the best song I've ever written. Yeah. Guess who that guy was who decided to leave Nashville and go to L.A.? Billy Ray. No. Okay, who? Shane McAnally. I was <laughs> Right? Like, yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. And so, yeah. man, I could go on. Shane I know McAnally, we only got, I'll be down. We only got a little window here of time, but I could go on some stories about just the craziest things that happened. Anyway, Shane also encouraged me to move to Nashville, and I ended up moving here because Barbara Cloyd, that woman that wouldn't take her eyes off that magazine, right? she heard me sing this song called Summer Song at the open mic, and the whole, you know, the room, you could tell they were interested in me performing it. And right. she came up and handed me her card and said, please call me. I want you to meet some people. And she basically set me up with a guy named Scott Gunter, who basically set me up with a guy named Craig Wiseman for my yeah. second yeah. co-write. Craig's a Mississippi um, boy, by the way. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, brilliant. Um, yep. So, yeah, my I, and it spiraled. Within six months, I was on a fast track to... I had a publishing uh, offers coming in from most of the companies and then record labels involved with, you know, sort of seeing what was going to happen with this guy from L.A. They didn't really, everyone here in Nashville still thinks I came from L.A., but 
I really didn't. I was in yeah. L.A. for a yeah, minute. It was a, it was a little bit of a, a detour is what it was. But yeah. it, it was an important detour because you made some right turns and, and you had you had yeah. your, your your journey had to go there. It's yep. interesting. I mean, OK, so this leads to. So for you guys, I understand this. Rascal Flats, Leon Rhymes, Big and Rich. It started a lot on his own with your own uh, own records on, on, on my late when I was at Mercury. Uh, together yep. and then you were on uh disney Lyric if i'm street. right Lyric street and josh grayson recorded a couple big ones was josh grayson's your first was he the one that broke out what was it Summer yeah, nothing, song what was it not, nothing to lose nothing to lose the, yeah 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 the break breaker one nine he so basically that uh nothing to lose was on my first record on mercury when uh you and i were label mates right that, first record uh, was released and basically in a three year period my record was out I had gotten uh, released from Mercury and I was basically just writing songs for other people and trying to get a another record deal and a producer by the name of Marty Williams reached out to me and Marty produced the Rascal Flats at the time yeah, and Marty's Josh great Grayson. guy great guy yeah well, he reached out to me and wanted to... Actually, Scott Gunner is the one that originally pitched him the song, Nothing to Lose, and Marty's the one that remembered him pitching it and asking about it, and basically Marty recorded Nothing to Lose for Josh Grayson, and it became a number one, and right. that kind of opened... Basically, that helped me write myself back into a second record deal, so Marty kept you know, I gave him the one song, he, so he wanted to know my catalog and wanted, you know, me to co-write with some of his writers, and I ended up, basically, Marty said, I'd love to take you to Lyric Street. I think I can get you a record deal. I think your style and and your voice is so unique. I think it's still fresh, and I think it's, it's worth a shot. And he brought me into Randy Goodman at Lyric Street, and sure enough, I got another record deal with Lyric Street. So we're talking to Marcel. You're in a Mississippi Minute in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. We'll be right back. To stop and still falling in love with the same sweet woman. Don't have to tell me I got me a good one, and I love to think I got this love thing now. I'm still trying to find my way around. Humble beginnings, all the way back to 1943. Guarantee Bank has grown from offering the basic banking services and products. To serving customers with a comprehensive, complete line of expertise and products only expected at much larger institutions. We are proud to be your local big-time bank. So when you're looking for a bank you can truly depend on and trust, and like me so many years ago trying to find my way around, let Guarantee Bank, with its 17 convenient locations, help you on your journey and become a wonderful addition to your family like they have mine for over 30 years. Guarantee Bank. Member FDIC. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I packed everything I had in storage. Put your picture on my dashboard. Bye-bye beach. We're talking to Marcel. You're in a Mississippi Minute to keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. So you, me, and the windshield was the Mercury release, right? Yeah. Okay. So you got to realize something. Let me just let me just tell you exactly what happened. And you, but you know what happened. I'm just going to remind you of it. When you when you came into the fold at Mercury, 
um, I was a, I was a, it was after waiting on Joe for me, and they were telling me they were going six deep on me. Okay, so we had it all lined up, right? And then we we're playing a show at the Wild Horses, us and Rascal Flats, I think Paisley, and uh, sort of for CMT, this sort of CM launches CMT tour, and they come tell me that Mercury goes up for sale. That it was a Frenchman, that it was owned in France, right? And then uh, by a guy in France, and he's going to sell. Well, what happened was it put every, it shelved everybody. It stopped all the presses, and you were, mm-hmm. a, you were in the middle of all of, you were about to come out. So yeah. all the efforts were just, they weren't efforts because they got told, okay, let's just, I mean, it was, it was a, that record was a casualty as great as it was because we all loved it. We knew, we knew it was special, but we all got, it all just was like a standstill all of a sudden because they went up for yeah. sale. And then Universal bought them. And then he had all these shakeups, right? So it goes from Stegall, our man Keith, who was so great to, you know, and Luke, Luke you know, our man Luke, he, he yeah. wasn't our man, our, our, our not our man. <laughs> Who Jessica ended up dealing with, your wife, we all dealt with this guy that um, he was, a, to me, a train wreck as far as, yeah. uh, you know, he, he wrecked a lot of trains, let's just say, yep, on purpose. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So that, that but but I love the fact that you got this other shot with Lyric Street and you had Kevin Herring and all those guys who I love and he oh, loved yeah. you and Kevin was like a brother. Um, uh, in the promotion world with radio, he was as good as it gets. Um, and when he believed, he fought like, you know, Michael Powers, they all fought for you. You know, it was yeah. a, they were all a blessing. But but when Big Dog said, you know, put the wall up, then they couldn't run through it, yeah. you know, or run under it or build, do a, do a tunnel or whatever. So, so but you, you, you do all this. Okay, so I got to jump. So you're having all this success as a writer. You and I, we're messing around and all this, and here comes my son, Strack. And I know this interview is taking all these turns, and I love the fact that we got to celebrate. When I did, when I talked to Brett, when we did Favre on, I knew Favre from the football days because I spent a lot of time with him, but I didn't know us growing up. So this is the part that I love the most, and I think that interests my listeners as well, is the journey. Because your journey has been as, as unique as anybody's, if not more so. My son is a, a 12-year-old wannabe filmmaker. And then he's 13, 14, and you take him under his wing. He's on stage with, you know, we saw this video the other day. You, you're going, Strack, get out there. He was doing, you were doing, you were doing stuff <laughs> Clay for Walker. Clay Walker, right? Yeah, Clay Walker. <laughs> I, brought, I flew him to freaking Dallas or something. Yeah, you flew him to Dallas. Well, I was going, like, no, Marcel. Took him out of school. You did. Took him out of school. <laughs> and, and then you had him hanging out of a window to do Bo Bice after, after American Idol. Oh, my on that. gosh, that's right. I put him as the main camera guy yeah. in the back of a vehicle <laughs> on a low-budget Bo Bice video. Oh, my God, I loved it. And Bo Bice came to me and goes, hey, I was really upset. And then Mar- Marcel said, you trust me. And then when I saw what he could do with the camera, I said, okay, I trust you. <laughs> what an influence. And wow. it was just all this stuff that was happening and because of you. I mean, it's amazing and, and that the path that he had to run through and to go through. And I look back and I've always thought this, but but getting to have this conversation with you, it's great from a dad, it's incredible gratitude. That's crazy, man. And you just recently told me all of the success Strack has had. And well, he's got a long wow, way to go, just, but still. I mean, you know, I mean yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's just amazing. That's the thing. When he was just 12 years old and the things he was shooting and, and able to understand kind of where I was wanting, 
probably because he saw you so all your videos you've done and and I you know I had no idea he was making his own little short films on his own time either yeah playing around in at the house but yeah he was just able to you know see what I was seeing so easily without having to pull his leg to try to get it or try right. to get him to shoot it was awesome and so so he was so great that I you know I, I had I know. The confidence in, in him to just bring him on these big gigs. <laughs> A twelve-year-old, and people, you want to know what it's like talking to an, a country music artist that's successful and convincing them <laughs> that this twelve-year-old is my camera guy. <laughs> that it was so funny. They just had no idea. They literally were calling in their managers, and my, their managers were calling me, going, "Hey, uh, Clay's a little concerned with uh, the, the camera guy you brought out here." <laughs> and I'm like, oh, don't worry about it, man. That guy's gold. Trust me. <laughs> that, and they're like, yeah, that's the thing. He's not a guy. Yeah. I'm like, oh, well, he's a young boy. He's yeah, a young pup. Yeah, but yeah. I love it. It was so funny, man. I'll never forget <laughs> it. Track saying at, at, at this lunch that we were sitting at before we before our shoot. I asked him a question. I can't remember what it was. And I, I asked him what, what he thought of this. And his response was, I'm partial. Yeah. It's just so funny, the word, I'm partial. I just like, it was the most random, funny thing. And I still laugh about that. <laughs> Marcel, you're crazy. All right, well, look, we're running out of time. I, I love you, brother. Can't later. wait to see you, man. Love you, too. Love you guys. All right, later on. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. Whether you're a rebel, a bulldog, a golden eagle, or just a sports fan, Super Talk Mississippi has got a podcast for you. For you. Sports Talk Mississippi, The Rebel Report, Thunder and Lightning, The Super Talk Eagle Hour, and The Borky Show are all now available for you. And it's all free. Free. Get them all on demand at supertalk.fm and on your smartphone. Just search for Super Talk on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.